Chapter Two of Wolfbane by Frederick Pohl and C. M. Cornbluth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Citizen and Citizeness Rogert Germain walked down Pine Street in the chill and dusk of, one hoped, a sun recreation morning. It was the convention to pretend that this was a morning like any other morning. It was not proper either to cast frequent hopeful glances at the sky, nor yet to seem disturbed or afraid, because this was, after all, the forty-first such morning since those whose specialty was sky-viewing had come to believe the recreation of the sun was near. The citizen and his citizeness exchanged the assurance of identity sign with a few old friends, and stopped to converse. This was also a convention of skill divorced from purpose. The conversation was without relevance to anything that any one of the participants might know, or think, or wish to ask. Germain said to his friends a twenty-word poem he had made in honor of the occasion, and heard their responses. They did line-capping for a while, until someone indicated unhappiness and a wish to change by frowning the two grooves between his brows. The game was deftly ended with an improvised rhymed exchange. Casually, Citizen Germain glanced aloft. The sky change had not begun yet. The dying old sun hung just over the horizon, east and south, much more south than east. It was an ugly thought, but suppose, thought Germain, just suppose that the sun was not recreated today, or tomorrow, or, or ever. The citizen got a grip on himself and told his wife, Shall we dine at the oatmeal stall? The citizeness did not immediately reply. When Germain glanced at her with well-masked surprise, he found her almost staring down the dim street at a citizen who moved almost in a stride, almost swinging his arms, scarcely graceful. That might be more wolf than man, she said doubtfully. Germain knew the fellow. Tropile was his name, one of those curious few who made their homes outside of Wheeling though they were not farmers. Germain had had banking dealings with him, or would have had, if it had been up to Tropile. That is a careless man, he decided, and an ill-bred one. They moved toward the oatmeal stall with the gait of citizens, arms limp, feet scarcely lifted, slumped forward a little. This was the ancient gait of fifteen hundred calories per day, not one of which could be squandered. There was a need for more calories, so many for walking, so many for gathering food, so many for the economical pleasures of the citizens, so many more, oh, many more, these days, to keep the cold out. Yet there were no more calories. The diet the whole world lived on was a bare subsistence diet. It was impossible to farm well when half the world's land was part of the time drowned in the rising sea, part of the time smothered in falling snow citizens knew this and knowing did not struggle it was ungraceful to struggle particularly when one could not win only well wolves struggled wasting calories lacking grace citizen germain turned his mind to more pleasant things he allowed himself his first foretaste of the oatmeal it would be warm in the bowl hot in the throat a comfort in the belly there was a great deal of pleasure there in weather like this, when the cold plucked through the loosened seams 
and the wind came up the sides of the hills not that there wasn't pleasure in the cold itself for that matter it was proper that one should be cold now just before the recreation of the sun when the old sun was smoky red and the new one not yet kindled still looks like a wolf to me his wife was muttering candace germain reproved his citizeness but took the sting out of it with a quirked smile the man with the ugly manners was standing at the very bar of the oatmeal stall where they were heading in the gloom of mid-morning he was all angles and strained lines his head was turned awkwardly on his shoulders peering toward the back of the stall where the vendor was rhythmically measuring grain into a pot his hands were rested helter-skelter on the counter not hanging by his sides citizen germain felt the faint shudder from his wife but he did not reprove her again for who could blame her the exhibition was revolting she said faintly citizen might we dine on bread this morning he hesitated and glanced again at the ugly man he said indulgently knowing that he was indulgent on sun recreation morning the citizeness may dine on bread bearing in mind the occasion it was only a small favor and therefore a very proper one the bread was good very good they shared out a half a kilo between them and ate it in silence as it deserved germain finished his first portion and in the prescribed pause before beginning his second elected to refresh his eyes upward he nodded to his wife and stepped outside overhead the old sun parceled out the last barrel scrapings of heat it was larger than the stars around it but many of them were nearly as bright a high-pitched male voice said citizen germain good morning germain was caught off balance he took his eyes off the sky half turned glanced at the face of the person who had spoken to him raised his hand in the assurance of identity sign it was all very quick and fluid almost too quick for he had his fingers bent nearly into the sign for female friends and this was a man citizen boyne germain knew him well they had shared an ice viewing at niagara a year before germain recovered quickly enough but it had been disconcerting he improvised swiftly there are stars but are the stars still there if there is no sun it was a hurried effort he grieved but no doubt boyne would pick it up and carry it along boyne had always been very good very graceful boyne did no such thing good morning he said again faintly he glanced at the stars overhead as though trying to unravel what germain was talking about he said accusingly his voice cracking sharply there isn't any sun germain what do you think of that germain swallowed citizen perhaps you no sun you hear me the man sobbed it's cold germain the pyramids aren't going to give us another sun do you know that they're going to starve us freeze us they're through with us we're done all of us he was nearly screaming all up and down pine street people were trying not to look at him and some of them were failing boyne clutched at germain helplessly revolted germain drew back bodily contact it seemed to bring the man to his senses reason returned to his eyes he said i he stopped and stared about him i think i'll have bread for breakfast he said foolishly and plunged into the stall 
Boyne left behind him a shaken citizen, caught halfway into the wrist flip of parting, staring after him with jaw slack and eyes wide, as though Germain had no manners either. All this on Sun Recreation Day. What could it mean? Germain wondered fretfully, worriedly. Was Boyne on the point of? Could Boyne be about to? Germain drew back from the thought. There was one thing that might explain Boyne's behavior, but it was not a proper speculation for one citizen to make about another. All the same, Germain dared the thought. All the same, it did seem almost as though Citizen Boyne were on the point of, well, running amuck. At the oatmeal stall, Glenn Tropile thumped on the counter. The laggard oatmeal vendor finally brought the ritual bowl of salt and the pitcher of thin milk. Tropile took his paper twist of salt from the top of a neatly arranged pile in the bowl. He glanced at the vendor. His fingers hesitated. Then, quickly, he ripped the twist of paper into his oatmeal and covered it to the permitted level with milk. He ate quickly and efficiently, watching the street outside. They were wandering and mooning about, as always, maybe today more than most days, since they hoped it would be the day the sun blossomed flame once more. Tropile always thought of the wandering, mooning citizens as they. There was a we somewhere for Tropile, no doubt, but Tropile had not yet located it, not even in the bonds of the marriage contract. He was in no hurry. At the age of fourteen, Glenn Tropile had reluctantly come to realize certain things about himself, that he disliked being bested, that he had to have a certain advantage in all his dealings, or an intolerable itch in the mind drove him to discomfort. The things added up to a terrifying fear, gradually becoming knowledge, that the only we that could properly include him was one that was not very wise to join. He had realized, in fact, that he was a wolf. For some years Tropile had struggled against it, for wolf was an obscene word. The children he played with were punished severely for saying it, and for almost nothing else. It was not proper for one citizen to advantage himself at the expense of another. Wolves did that. It was proper for a citizen to accept what he had, not to strive for more, to find beauty in small things, to accommodate himself, with the minimum of strain and awkwardness, to whatever his life happened to be. Wolves were not like that. Wolves never meditated. Wolves never appreciated. Wolves never translated. That supreme fulfillment granted only to those who succeed in a perfect meditation, that surrender of the world and the flesh by taking leave of both, which would never be achieved by a wolf. Accordingly, Glenn Tropile had tried very hard to do all the things that wolves could not do. He had nearly succeeded. His specialty, water-watching, had been most rewarding. He had achieved many partly successful meditations on connectivity. And yet he was still a wolf, for he still felt that burning, itching urge to triumph and to hold an advantage. For that reason it was almost impossible for him to make friends among the citizens, and gradually he had almost stopped trying. Tropile had arrived in Wheeling nearly a year before, making him one of the early settlers in point of time. And yet there was not a citizen in the street who was prepared to exchange recognition gestures with him. He knew them, nearly every one. 
He knew their names and their wives' names. He knew what northern states they had moved down from with the spreading of the ice as the sun grew dim. He knew very nearly to the quarter of a gram what stores of sugar and salt and coffee each one of them had put away, for their guests, of course, not for themselves, though well-bred citizen hoarded only for the entertainment of others. Tropile knew these things because there was an advantage in knowing them, but there was no advantage in having anyone know him. A few did. That banker Germain, Tropile had approached him only a few months before about a prospective loan, but it had been a chancy, nervous encounter. The idea was so luminously simple to Tropile. Organize an expedition to the coal mines that had once flourished nearby. Find the coal bring it to Wheeling, heat the houses. And yet it had seemed blasphemous to Germain. Tropile had counted himself lucky merely to have been refused the loan, instead of being cried out upon as a wolf. The oatmeal vendor was fussing worriedly around his neat stack of paper twists in the salt bowl. Tropile avoided the man's eyes. Tropile was not interested in the little wry smile of self-deprecation which the vendor would make to him, given half a chance. Tropile knew well enough what was disturbing the vendor. Let it disturb him. It was Tropile's custom to take extra twists of salt. They were in his pockets now, and they would stay there. Let the vendor wonder why he was short. Tropile licked the bowl of his spoon and stepped into the street. He was comfortably aware, under a double-thick parka, that the wind was blowing very cold. A citizen passed him, walking alone. Odd, thought Tropile. He was walking rapidly, and there was a look of taut despair on his face. Still more odd. Odd enough to be worth another look, because that sort of haste, that sort of abstraction, suggested something to Tropile. They were in no way normal to the gentle sheep of the class they, except in one particular circumstance. Glenn Tropile crossed the street to follow the abstracted citizen, whose name he knew was Boyne. The man blundered into Citizen Germain outside the baker's stall, and Tropile stood back, out of easy sight, watching and listening. Boyne was on the ragged edge of breakdown. What Tropile heard and saw confirmed his diagnosis. The one particular circumstance was close to happening. Citizen Boyne was on the verge of running amuck. Tropile looked at the man with amusement and contempt. Amuck. Amuck? The gentle sheep could be pushed too far. He had seen citizens run amuck. The signs were obvious. There was pretty sure to be an advantage in it for Glenn Tropile. There was an advantage in almost anything, if you looked for it. He watched and waited. He picked his spot with care, so that he could see Citizen Boyne inside the baker's stall, making a dismal botch of slashing his quarter kilo of bread from the morning loaf. He waited for Boyne to come racing out. Boyne did. A yell, loud, piercing. It was Citizen Germain, shrilling, Amok! Amok! A scream, an enraged, wordless cry from Boyne, and the baker's knife glinting in the faint light as Boyne swung it. And then citizens began scattering in every direction, all of the citizens but one. One citizen was under the knife, his own knife as it happened. It was the baker himself. Boyne chopped and chopped again and then Boyne came out roaring, the broad knife whistling about his head. 
the gentle citizens fled panicked before him he struck at their retreating forms and screamed and struck again a muck it was the one peculiar circumstance when they forgot to be gracious one of the two tropile corrected himself as he strode across to the baker's stall his brow furrowed because there was another circumstance when they lacked grace and one which affected him nearly he watched the maddened creature boyne already far down the road chasing a knot of citizens around a corner tropile sighed and stepped into the baker's stall to see what he might gain from this boyne would wear himself out the surging rage would leave him as quickly as it came he would be a sheep again and the other sheep would close in and capture him that was what happened when a citizen ran amuck it was a measure of what pressures were on the citizens that at any moment there might be one gram of pressure too much and one of them would crack it had happened here in wheeling twice in the past two months glenn tropile had seen it happen in pittsburgh altoona and bronxville there was a limit to the pressure that can be endured tropile walked into the baker's stall and looked down without emotion at the slaughtered baker the corpse was a gory mess but tropile had seen corpses before he looked around the stall calculating as a starter he bent to pick up a quarter kilo of bread boyne had dropped dusted it off and slipped it into his pocket food was always useful given enough food perhaps boyne would not have run amuck was it simple hunger they cracked under or the knowledge of the thing on mount everest or the hovering eyes or the sought-after dreaded prospect of translation or merely the strain of keeping up their laboriously figured lives did it matter they cracked and ran amuck and tropile never would and that was what mattered he leaned across the counter reaching for what was left of the morning bread and found himself staring into the terrified large eyes of citizeness germain she screamed wolf citizens help me wolf tropile faltered he hadn't even seen the damned woman and there she was rising up from behind the counter screaming her head off wolf wolf he said sharply citizeness i beg you but that was no good the evidence was on him and her screams would fetch others tropile panicked he started toward her to silence her but that was no good either he whirled she was screaming screaming and there were people to hear tropile darted into the street but they were popping out of every doorway now appearing from every rat's hole in which they had hid to escape boyne please he cried sobbing wait a minute but they wouldn't wait they had heard the woman and maybe some of them had seen him with the bread they were all around him no they were all over him they were clutching at him tearing at his soft warm furs they pulled at his pockets and the stolen twists of salt spilled accusingly out they yanked at his sleeves and even the stout unweakened seams ripped open he was fairly captured wolf they shouted wolf it drowned out the distant noise from where boyne had finally been run to earth a block or more away it drowned out everything it was the other circumstance when they forgot to be gracious when they had trapped the son of the wolf end of chapter two